TGIM Team RE. This is episode 284. And I couldn't stop. My wife had always said, you're an alcoholic. And I'm like, no, I just like to have a drink. But she was right. I, I, I couldn't actually stop. Even when I decided, like, oh, well, I'll give it a rest. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Andrew. Andrew took his last drink on June 2nd. He is from Brisbane, Australia, and he is 37 years old. Also, I've got some great news for all of our listeners. We have recently partnered with Denver-based CBD company Andourage. This company has amazing clinician-grade CBD products. CBD products are excellent in balancing the body's naturally occurring endocannabinoid system, which is responsible for homeostasis for keeping balance in our body and our natural state of well-being. For 10% off on your first order, use the link in our show notes and enter the promo code ELEVATOR at checkout. Paul actually met the chief medical officer of Andourage at a breathwork retreat. His name is Michael Stewart, and they immediately hit it off since they both decided to ditch the booze. So head over to the link on our show notes if you want to even learn a little bit more about the quality products that Andourage delivers. And I hope you guys take advantage of the discount. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. I posted an Instagram story not long ago asking our followers about topics they'd like to hear about during the intro of the podcast. The topic of boundaries got a few votes, so that's going to be our topic for this lovely Monday. I also asked followers to fill out a poll where we asked if they preferred cheese and honey as a snack or coffee mate and cereal. Paul was arguing that chocolate coffee mate and cereal are way better and said that my snack combo, the honey home and cheese, was a weird one. So threw up the poll and I just want to take this opportunity to make it official that most of our followers preferred honey and cheese. So take that Pablo. You may or may not be listening, but I just had to put it out there. Anyways, back to boundaries. According to positivepsychology.com, healthy boundaries are those boundaries that are set to make sure mentally and emotionally you are stable. Another way to think about it is that our boundaries might be rigid, loose, somewhere in between, or even non-existent. A complete lack of boundaries may indicate that we do not have a strong identity or are enmeshed with someone else or something else, insert alcohol. I notice I find myself telling people often to protect their energy. When a friend told me she was being sucked into the news when COVID hit and how she felt that it was really moving her to a place of fear, I said, protect your energy. When another friend told me about an internet troll that had left an awful comment on her latest Instagram post, I said, protect your energy. When I got my last tattoo and I started feeling super guilty since I knew my parents don't love tattoos and that inner child in me never wants to let my parents down. So I said to myself, protect your energy. As I learn more and more about boundaries and just feeling more comfortable with boundaries in my own life, I realize that what I mean when I tell people protect your energy actually is honor your boundaries or set them. When you decide to move forward in life without alcohol, boundaries need to be set. It may not even be a process that you are mindful of, but something as small as declining to attend a happy hour or leaving a party early are both examples of setting boundaries of protecting your energy. 
And I want to say something about boundaries that I don't think is addressed very often. When you set new boundaries and you start actually living them out, take the example I provided earlier of declining a happy hour invitation. It may feel very uncomfortable. Please know that this is what it's actually supposed to feel like. Because what you're used to doing is actually the total opposite. Your brain is going to be a bit confused when you start setting boundaries in place. But the bottom line is that you are standing up for yourself when you create a boundary. You are saying no to something external and yes to something internal. And that's pretty freaking amazing, guys. A great way to start setting boundaries is to make a list of things that drain you. A list of things that internally just don't feel right to you. Here are a few examples. It doesn't feel right to stay at parties until 2 a.m. It doesn't feel right to be on social media for too long. It doesn't feel right to spend more than a week at your parents' house. It doesn't feel right to see Aunt Jenny for longer than four hours at a time. You can start with a few and then build on the list as you feel more comfortable with the process. Next up, you can create a boundary for each of the things that you outlined on your list. So for the case of staying at parties until 2 a.m., the boundary is leaving events between 10, 11 p.m. or whenever you feel comfortable. Being on social media for too long got you feeling blue and sad? Set a timer and only allow yourself to spend five minutes at a time on the IG. Seeing Aunt Jenny for more than four hours is a problem since all she does is talk about how annoying her neighbor is? Maybe swing by her home, have a cup of coffee and a scone with her, and then call it a day. Protect your energy. The uncomfortable part comes next. This is sharing your boundary. I honestly highly recommend just being super direct. Here's an example from our list. Hey friend, happy birthday. Thanks for having me over to your party. I'm headed out as I normally don't feel comfortable staying late at these events, but take care and thanks again for the hospitality. Boom. You're being clear, direct, and you're letting the other person know that it has nothing to do with them, but it is about you. Here's another one. Hey babe, I'm excited to have dinner and chat with you tonight. I just wanted to say that I'm probably going to call it a day at around 9.30 as I have an early start tomorrow and it's important to me to be well rested for a new day. I know these sound like totally normal phrases, but for many of us who struggle with people pleasing, being direct and assertive about our needs can physically feel strange when we actually start practicing it. It may also be strange for our close ones to hear this directness as they aren't used to us being direct or aren't familiar with these new boundaries. The neat thing about boundaries is that they're not set in stone. Maybe you're in early sobriety and happy hours are still daunting. Your initial boundary around this is no happy hours. As time goes by and you stack up days, that boundary may change to perhaps one happy hour a month. And then maybe you'll loosen that boundary even more after more time has passed. It's all about checking in with yourself and adjusting things as needed. All right, eso es todo. That's it for now. And before we hear from Andrew, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive, loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these in Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who is in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. 
In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19 a month, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online discussions, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. And another portion goes to the in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Andrew, how are you today? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Adit. And listeners, I want to let you all know that Andrew and I are on very different time zones. <laughs> it's 12.30 p.m. on a Friday here in San Diego. And correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but it's 5.30 in the morning on Saturday where you're at, right? Yeah, correct. Andrew told me earlier, welcome to the future. <laughs> so we're uh, one day apart, but having this amazing live conversation. So thank you, Andrew, for waking up extra early to chat with us. Are you normally an early riser? No, I normally get up very early for work around sort of between 2 and 3 a.m. Okay, awesome. So it didn't feel like something completely out of the norm to wake up, maybe out of the norm to record a podcast, but not waking up so early. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again. And let's get right into it. When was the last time you had a drink, Andrew? It would be around nine days ago. Nine days ago. So tomorrow, double digits on a Sunday for you. That's going to be great. How are you feeling? Any symptoms? No, I'm a lot better i'd like to say because this would be my second attempt of stacking a few days well it took me multiple attempts so just i try to tell people remember some people just need a ton of day ones everyone's journey is different so i'm just really glad that that you decided to still come on because i know that when you and i started talking it was more than nine days ago so you and i started corresponding a little bit before where you were on a longer stint. So did you have any second thoughts of coming onto the podcast? How was that whole process for you? Yeah, I definitely had some second thoughts because I was doing quite well and I had like about 35 plus days. And then for some reason, I decided I needed to, I guess, test it <laughs> to see, oh no, I think I'm fine. And um, I wasn't. Well, so that was a good like people say, it was a good lesson. And um, I feel a lot better for it this time around. I feel, I know it's only early again, but I think with the days I already had, that one little slip up, I feel very positive this time. I love hearing that. And can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like doing for fun, Andrew? I'm um, am I, 37 years old live in Brisbane, Australia. I um, drive trucks. Um, I'm married. I have three little boys, all under seven. So they keep me pretty busy. And for fun, I like to ride my trail bike when I can, but that doesn't happen as enough as it should. Well, I only have one boy. I have a boy and a girl and I only have one boy and I can barely keep up with him. My husband and I are always like, oh my goodness, what do we do with all this energy? So I can only imagine having three boys under seven. I'm sure they keep you guys very busy. Yes, that's an understatement. Everyone said they were going to be hard work and energetic, but wow. 
Yes. Wow. We never know until we're truly there. Can you tell me a little bit of how the pandemic is like, what's the state of Australia during all of this? I just want to get a little bit of an idea of, are you guys also locked down? What, what are, what's going we, on over there? We're actually, we're in, like I'm in Brisbane, so I'm in Queensland and reportedly we're supposed to be doing very well. Our lockdown stuff is all starting to ease. Every, every second day, the, the prime minister announces we're moving closer to stage three of, of whatever they call yeah. <laughs> easing the restrictions. So in the last few days to a week, we've started to be able to go out in small groups and clubs and pubs, etc. are going to open up soon because the pubs seem to be very important to everyone. Yeah, everyone cannot wait to go back to the bar. That's definitely the general consensus. But uh, I was just curious. I do feel like you mentioning that you live with your family. That's tricky when you're with the same people. It's tricky for people who have nobody around them, but it's. I think it's also tricky when you have multiple people and everyone has a different set of needs and we're all cooped up in a house. So I just wanted to ask if that was the case for you where you guys have all been together for many, many days and many, many hours. <laughs> no, it's quite funny, actually. I had, um, we had a family holiday booked that was supposed to start right at the start of lockdown. So I had a lot of time off booked and I was class as an essential worker. So I was supposed to be at work, but I still took my holidays. And actually enjoyed a couple of weeks at home with the with all the family, while everyone else was freaking out. I was kind of enjoying some time with with the kids and and wife. That's good to hear. I feel like when you're working, sometimes at least I feel like we don't get enough time with the kids. So I'm glad you got to enjoy that. And then I I, I obviously I drank too much at the start, and then I guess I decided that's when I decided it was time to actually to um. Give this a go. Yeah, good for you. We we did notice even on our our metrics uh, of the podcast and of our memberships, you know, we did notice that it was hard for people to decide to stop drinking right at the beginning when all of this happened. And then after time passed and this has just become our new normal, then it's like, okay, how can I recalibrate? And I'm going to have to make some changes and, and adjust. So I'm really happy that you're here and that you're here with us and you're chatting. Talk to us a little bit about your history with drinking. When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol was a problem for you and just not serving your life goals? Oh, I've been thinking about this one for a bit. And I think realistically, I would have been about 13, um, 13 to, I tried it like more than just a sip. And then it, it progressed to sort of being every weekend from about, 13, 14 onwards, or whenever I could get it, really. And, yeah, I sound stupid, but it was instantly like a love affair. I, I loved it right from the very start. 13 years old. So do you, did you notice you, did you pick up the drink just because maybe you were with friends who were also doing it? Or what was the reason why that, at that age, you started drinking? I've always been around it. Talking with my older sisters recently, I, I guess I've sort of pushed it away, but my mother drunk quite a lot like every day so I've always been around it and it's always been available and um I don't know I guess it went from little sips sneaking some from from her drinks or dad's drink to then um having having a whole lot and the hangover or the feeling sick never deterred me I, I still wanted to keep going I liked the person I became I guess yeah instantly addicted and you mentioned 
every weekend. So did you maintain the weekend frequency for a long time or did you notice that the time in between drinking also started decreasing? It was more because obviously I'm young and the availability of it was was a random thing. So it was whenever I could get it or obtain it. And then due to like family, my parents sort of moved on. And I was on my own from about 15, 16. So was working and worked with a lot of older guys. Like at that age to make money, I sort of found myself laboring around construction. So the construction industry's got a big culture of beer drinking. So to fit in with the guys, I would drink every day with them. So it was perfect. It was kind of how you unwinded after the day of hard work. Yeah, that that's what I'd tell myself. But then realistically, looking back, I, I guess it was a big one to fit in. I always had a lot of trouble fitting in with people. I was always a bit different, I suppose. So I don't know, it was nice to be accepted. And I had that common, you know, bond with everyone was alcohol. Yeah, you felt like it, it was a social lubricant of some sort and it just helped you loosen up a little bit. That's, I mean, that's a reason for, for a lot of people that share their stories here with us. How was the transition to your adulthood? Like, did you go away somewhere for college or talk to me a little bit more about what happened afterwards? I just naturally progressed in construction. I started, I became a qualified tiler and then life, you know, goes on. We get to adulthood and had my own money. I was doing quite well and the drinking just increased and increased till I never really acknowledged it being a problem for about a good 10 10 years till about, you know, my mid to late 20s. And it was then, so for over 10 years, I've known that, wow, I definitely drink too much. I drink more than the average person. And I guess I just got labeled, I never got labeled an alcoholic as such by friends and people, but I guess I just had the reputation as, as Andrew, the guy that he likes to have a drink have a laugh, you know, and that was become my, my personality. Yeah, it became part of your identity. Identity. Yeah, that's that's the word I'm looking for. Definitely. Most definitely my identity. Did you ever notice that you felt anything or had a problem when people would notice or mention that you maybe drank a lot or that you were the partier or were you like, yeah, I'm the life of the party? How was how was being labeled like Andrew, the guy who likes to drink for you? At first, I found it kind of funny. I, to be honest, I never took it seriously. I had a bit of a laugh. I've always been a pretty casual guy, you know, no, nothing too serious. And then, um, you know, just, just I liked it. I, I won't lie. I really liked it. I liked being known as a fun guy and there's always drinks flowing and it was great. But then, I guess, moving forward a bit more till maybe I had my first, my first son was born when I was about 30 years old and then you naturally decide to sort of wake up to yourself, don't you? When you <laughs> you grow up, you've got kids. And I couldn't stop. My wife had always said, you're an alcoholic. And I'm like, no, I just like to have a drink. But she was right. I I, I couldn't actually stop. Even when I decided, like, oh, well, I'll give it a rest. No, nah. the next day I was straight back into it. So I'm going to rewind a little bit. You said your wife always said that you are an alcoholic. So if you're comfortable with it, talk to me a little bit about dating her, meeting her, and like, did it did it ever become an issue for her when when she had these conversations with her, or what was it like getting to know someone and just starting a family while someone was noticing that maybe you were drinking too much? 
Yeah, well, that would be more of a question for her, I reckon. I don't know how she did it. I guess she probably, maybe she felt like she could even help me, I guess. Because it wasn't like a problem as such. I just like to have a drink. And I'd never be like abusive or bad or carry on. I'd just get very silly. And then most times would end up just going to bed, going to sleep. But she she stuck with me and, you know, it's been tough more later in, in our relationship. And it's gone from being fun to, nah, serious, you've, you've got a problem, Andrew, you've got to stop. Do you think that part of that evolution of that relationship was what started making you think of like, maybe I do drink too much? Or when did it shift from, I'm cool with being Andrew, the guy who's funny and likes to kind of be the life of the party to, oh, shoot, maybe I drink too much and maybe this isn't the best way? Just trying to like, I guess as like, you know, more and more kids come along. We've got three now. And then watching other other parents, you know, everyone else naturally stopped or slowed down, you know, to just do it occasionally. And I was getting I was getting drunk every day around my kids. We couldn't go to the shopping center without my kids going, Oh, we've got to go to the bottle shop because dad needs to get his drinks. And and that's not normal for my kids to say, you know. Yeah, it, they notice everything, right? They're everything. Little everything they're little observers i i had someone share with me once like we went to the grocery store and they just grabbed the wine and said like here mom here's what you normally get and maybe they don't even know what it is but they're definitely noticing the patterns you you did mention in the email where you reached out to us that you had gone a couple of stints of like trying not to drink so did you did you hit a bottom or what made you start trying just knowing that you weren't able to stop or did you have a, a tangible event or a moment in your life where you were like, I need to stop? Well, relationships started to um, to fail, not just with my, my, like, my partner, but friends. Everyone else was growing up and I was still the alcoholic, well, the drinker. So friends, all sorts of, all personal relationships were starting to struggle, but I never blamed the alcohol, you know, I just thought it was them. And then a few years ago now, I had to have surgery and part of that I had to stop drinking two weeks before the surgery and my wife just laughed and said you won't be able to do that and I said of course I could I'm not an alcoholic I just like to have a drink and she was right I, I, I couldn't stop I drank right up to that surgery and I that's when I really knew wow I don't have control of this at all. Yeah I, we talk about white knuckling a lot and you did it and then the moment you could then you you went back to it so did you seek for any help when you decided to start trying to become sober or did you just decide like i'm not going to drink today walk us through how that has been for you i think i just decided i wasn't going to drink i did reach out to a doctor like my local doctor and said hey look i'm pretty sure i drink too much what you know is there anything we can do so he just like naturally prescribed some pills. I can't even remember what they were. Oh, maybe Camperol, but I don't know. It had no effect. And I wasn't really serious about it, I don't think. And it just continued on and off, you know, for another few years till we are now in this pandemic when I think I just naturally decided, um, well, I knew it was tearing relationships apart. And I, I found myself Google searching for, for answers like, like, like what you guys say, you know, you might be an alcoholic if you start Googling the symptoms. And, and I ticked all those boxes and I just decided that maybe um, 
there's, there's got to be a better life out there for me, for my kids, for my wife, for everything. Yeah, I I feel really inspired when just people ask themselves that question. Like, there has to be a better, more true way of living. And I hope that gives you a lot of encouragement and like fuel because because there is a different way. Did you ever set rules for yourself when you thought like, it wasn't the alcohol, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't fit in that label. So did you attempt moderating before attempting yes. sobriety? What are some of the rules that you made up for yourself? Well, like I say, I'm a truck driver now. I used to be a Tyler, but I've been a truck driver for about eight years. And obviously, you have to be zero alcohol driving a truck. So so through the week, I would drink in the afternoon after work, but I'd always um, make sure I was sober for the morning to go to work. So I tried to tell myself that I'd drink on weekends when I didn't have a, a shift, but I just worked out ways to um, how many I could have that afternoon and, and got around it. Yeah, I've yet to listen to someone who tells me that they're a, they stay true to all of the rules. We always have an amendment to the rule, an extra clause, and there's always a, a social event or a holiday. So it's just, it's just such proof of how our brain and our denial are so strong, right? And they just really want to hold on to the drink. There's 100% on that. Like, I'd have days where I'd wake up really foggy, you know, I guess it's a hang. I never really suffered hangovers, but I guess it would be a hangover. And I'd drive to work and I'd do the old tell myself, no, enough's enough. Today is the day. But by by lunchtime, I was already counting down the hours to, oh, I've nearly finished this job. It won't be long now. I can go get a drink. And I think, wow, that was just a complete backflip on the person I woke up in the morning with all the regret, all the remorse for what I'd done, you know? Yeah, the cognitive dissonance and, and how quickly our mood can change. I mean, we talk often about how feelings just last 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And a lot of the times we make these big promises when we wake up in the morning and feel a certain way. But it's hard when, when those cravings kick in and when we're physically used to receiving something, the body just shifts and asks. So it's, it's crazy for sure. Six-week dry camp. You mentioned a six-week dry camp that happened with work. And first of all, I was the first thing that came to my mind when I read that was like, wow, the fact that work created that is kind of cool. I feel like most work culture is more just like, let's go out for drinks. And I'm just curious, like, is this something that commonly happens in Australia? Because I'd never heard of like a company throwing a six-week dry camp for their employees. Talk to me a little bit more about this. Yeah, no, nah, that's a bit of a misunderstanding. Oh. It's like, we call it a, yeah, I wish, I wish employers were that good. No, it just happened to be the job I was in at the time. I would, I'd go away for work for, for between two to six weeks at a time and would stay remotely. Uh, I was doing a lot of oil, oil and gas work. And um, so we'd have to be quite remote. So we'd stay literally on camps. And it used to be a thing out in the field. If you're lucky, you'd get what they called a wet camp where alcohol was available to purchase and also supplied. Mm -hmm. Or if you were an unlucky one, you would end up on a dry camp where there was just no alcohol around at all. And um, I got that one and I thought it was good because I made it through the six weeks with no alcohol around. But as soon as I was on my way home back to Brisbane, the first place I went was to the, to the bar. Yeah, I, I imagine what happened after was like, if I could do six weeks, then I'm not addicted or I deserve this drink you know what went through your what went through your mind after those six weeks when you were on the way to the bar 
it, it was just like I picked up exactly where I left off. I didn't even didn't even question it. At the time, I was really proud of myself. Like, see everyone, I can go without, and I only went without because it wasn't there, and I was so remote. But then, literally, didn't even question it. First on the way home, the first very first bar on the side of the road, we pulled in, and just ordered a drink like it was nothing. How has fatherhood been different for you? Or what have you noticed when you're not drinking around your kids? How different is that state for you? <laughs> I realize how much my wife has been around more than I have. I know I've been around and I've been maybe fun and stupid and play with the kids, but I've, I've missed so much. Like in the last few weeks, yeah, parenting's a complete different trip, man. It is. And I'll tell you this much. It is also very triggering being a parent. And I know this is a blanket statement, but listeners, if any of you disagree with me, feel free to send me a message. But for me, just because parent brings a lot of uncomfortable feelings and a lot of emotions, and especially with young kids, have you noticed that it's just really cool and really fun and you have all this love, but then it's equally hard and you're like, ah, I just want to go get a drink. Yes, most definitely. The the R <laughs> when I go get a drink. But yeah, th- then it reminds me though, and then well, in the last last couple of weeks, especially like th- that's a feeling I shouldn't have. You know, I should be a normal person, so to speak, and be in the now, like the, an attentive parent. And I start, I, I worry about different things. My whole approach to parenting is different. Like I care more, I guess. I don't know. Not that I didn't care. I'd do anything for my family, but what just basic what right and wrong is you know yeah and slowing down and and just being in the moment which is so valuable to us and them and do you have any addiction in your family or like anything yeah yeah like my like i said my mother she would she'd she'd drink a lot like every day pretty much just cheap cheap wine whatever she could get and then um she'd have i think she'd have a lot of pills prescription pills and then, yeah, like I said, they went they went around a lot, and I just I followed that path too, drinking and just trying to get rid of problems with 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 substances of of anything I could get my hands on, you know. Yeah, I think a lot about generational like, passing down of of issues, and I get really scared. My dad is a recovering alcoholic, and I know there is no perfect parent manual, but I just, gosh, it gives me so much fuel just and rage at the same time like I just don't want them to endure any of these issues and I can't control it of course but I just really hope that us in our attempts you and I and everyone who's a parent who is trying to stay away from alcohol I just I really hope it makes a difference in their lives I just really hold on to that so hard because I know what it's like you know yeah, I can agree. And like like I was saying earlier, they how they they see everything. You know, they like they want to help you pick up the alcohol. They make make drinks for you. They tell you you should be going to the bar to buy drinks. With with that same thing, they see everything. Hopefully, in recovery and and being sober, they see they see that as well. They hopefully they remember how much you know Dad tried to to not drink as well, and 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 can see how it obviously affected my life enough to not want to have it around to take the positives from it yeah and they are noticing the positives as well so 
that's that's great to hear. Tell us about a day in your life right now. What tools are you working on to stay away from the booze when you get a craving? Uh, to be honest, like I'm still learning. This is a tricky one with starting this this um, journey <laughs> in the current time. A lot of help is, isn't available in the traditional ways. So there's sure there's a lot of help online and there's online meetings and all sorts of stuff, but I'm not very comfortable with that. Like this, this phone interview itself is kind of scary. So I just discovered podcasts and they're my number one tool at the moment. I, I listen to them as much as I can, like at night on my way to work while I'm driving around at work. And just so I've got a constant reminder of, of, of listening to, you know, inspiring stories and, and the tips on the podcast. And I hope to join an AA group or some sort of group in person when they open back up shortly to try and get some proper education, you know, face to face. This is very unsolicited advice, but I want to encourage you to stay open. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. You know, you when I asked you, do you want to come on the podcast? I know there was some hesitation and you just mentioned that you are a little bit nervous and uncomfortable, but you're still showing up. And I think that a lot of this is just treating it like an experiment and being like, okay, well, I tried that and tried it a couple times, gave it a fair shot and I'm going to stick to it or actually didn't like it. Let me try something else. I feel like that really helps because when we take our ego and, and all of the stuff that we think we know out of the equation, we, we make space for perhaps like a tool that we didn't know that could help us this much. So you're doing so many things that are right. And I'm just so grateful that you decided to show up. We do get no shows sometime on on the interviews that are scheduled. And when I saw you call in, I was like, yes, he decided to do it because I knew you were having second thoughts about it. So you should definitely give yourself a big pat on the back after this. The, lo- the 30 seconds before I pressed call, I was, I was I think I was almost a no show. I was freaking out. But I just thought, you know, the, the, the choice to, to stop drinking today was probably a lot harder than pressing call on the, on the computer. So I was like, what, what, what have we got to lose? Let's go. And a lot of people I've told, I've been, like you say, I've been very open about what I'm doing. So I was like, well, let's try it, you know? Let's see what happens. Do you ever get any pushback since you are saying you're pretty open? Have you gotten any negative feedback or people asking weird questions around your decision? Or how has been that? as you talk to people about this not not one not one negative comment at all which which is i guess you could interpret two ways the people that i'm around that i've told are either really great supportive people which they are or they've all known that andy has had a problem with drinking for a long time and this is the greatest decision he's made so support him even staff like other work colleagues when they found out about it, they're like, that's really good, mate. That's really good. So I'm thinking, wow, even my actions over the last few years have, have obviously affected everyone, you know? That's that's great that you also are supported and you're not being pushed back and like, come on, just one. You know, I feel like no, that is a struggle. Not. And uh, one uncomfortable thing, which was opposite, we had a bit of a family lunch and everyone had a drink, a glass of wine or a beer. And... Um, that was fine. I didn't even, didn't even bother me. But then a few people like my wife, et cetera, were like, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, don't be. I don't, 
it doesn't bother me. It's fine. You you can have a drink. So there was the apologising for having alcohol around was kind of making him more uncomfortable than just everyone going about their normal activity, you know? There's definitely a transition. I, I've been thinking about doing a podcast intro where we talk about Paul introduced the concept of burning the ships and like how hard it is for some people to tell, to tell people. And then I feel like there's the other side of the coin as well is what happens after. It is a transition like you said, maybe at the beginning people are apologetic and then they get used to it or maybe at the beginning they some people don't want to drink around us and then we have to speak up and say, I don't mind it. I mean, there's a series of events that happen afterwards, but I find it really encouraging that you're just honest and open and direct and you can tell people, like, don't worry about it. And that, that helps relieve a little bit of the pressure on, on their end as well because a lot of the times people want to help but they really have no idea how to, right? And, and exactly. And everyone would be different. And maybe on the day would be different. Maybe if I was having a particular bad day, that, that, that temptation of everyone having a drink would, would be difficult for me. But I guess in the mindset I was in on that day, I was so positive and optimistic that, nah, you're right. Just have a drink. I'm fine. I don't even drink. And but maybe next time I might be a bit feel a bit different and think, yeah, you know what? Maybe I've got to take myself away from this. So it's going to be learning on, on both both sides how I'm going to deal with it and what is the correct way to handle that because drinking is still such a big big problem in our culture. Oh gosh, it's a it's a it's a systematic issue happening globally. So, yeah, and like you said everything's contextual. So, keep up having those direct conversations. I think they really help and I usually find myself telling people protect your energy. You know, if if you're uncomfortable people aren't in your brain or in your feelings, you have to take some sort of responsibility to either get yourself out of the equation or, or tell someone. But it sounds like you have a really good pulse on that. Yeah, at the moment. Good job. What are you excited about right now? If you can think about possibilities of life, maybe after all of this pandemic gets a little bit smoother, what, what gets you excited? What, what's on your bucket list? Well, in the long term, building better relationships with my my family but different relationships because I always had a good relationship with my kids and my wife but the better ones sober ones but also the amount of money that I'm saving from not drinking is um incredible so I'm actually looking at hoping to to purchase a house soon so that's a motivator that's a huge motivator we save a lot of money when we stop going to the liquor store so often <laughs> oh an amazing amount I if I'd have just been forced to sit down and read my bank statements, probably would have been the greatest tool in getting sober, I think. Well, I hope to maybe in a future date get an email from you with a picture of a of a house. Keep it keep it on the on the vision board. Oh, it will happen very soon, I reckon. Okay, I have one more question for you, Andrew, before the rapid fire round. If you could talk to day one Andrew, what would you say to him? Day one in getting sober, Andrew. Exactly. And maybe not this this round, but right at the beginning. <laughs> right at the beginning, day one, I, I would say what everyone else has said, that you'll probably encounter some, you know, some slip ups, etc. And, and and don't beat yourself up. It's fine. Like I, I try and be a bit too perfect. So I felt like a failure. But don't worry about it. Every every day you, you don't drink is, is great. And I had quite a few good days stacked up and they weren't wasted. Like, I just had a minor slip up, so just keep keep going. 
do it every day. Every day you don't drink is better. Yes, there are no wasted days. Okay, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be awesome. Are you ready? No, definitely. <laughs> what is a light bulb moment you've had during this journey? Other than knowing you can save a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, a light bulb moment, just just how different different the world is. It's completely different. The world I was living in was kind of dark and gloomy and, and, and not very nice. I didn't like a lot of people. I didn't like a lot of things. But this new world is it's completely different. There's a lot of there's a lot of good in the world. There's a lot of good in small things. That's that's it really. What is a memorable moment this journey has given you, if you can recall one memory? Oh, I think knowing that I've had enough strength inside myself to actually do something like this. I guess I've been putting it off for too long. What is your favorite alcohol free beverage? Yeah. I don't know if you have them over there, but you got uh, Slurpees, like frozen frozen Coke. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love them from the from the service station. I, I get a couple a day, I think. Do you mix different flavors, or do you have a favorite yes. flavor? <laughs> I can't help myself. I have to I have to experiment with all of them. I love it. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking of ditching the booze? Just jump in and try. Just try. It, it, who cares if it doesn't work? It, every hour, every day you get that works, it's got to be building that muscle to, to, to be stronger next time because you will fail, no doubt, statistically and most definitely. But just keep back, get back on it and do it. Yes. Before we depart, give listeners your own. You may want to ditch the booze line if. Oh, wow. I've been thinking about this. There's There's probably too many. But the most recent one, in my life anyway, you might be an alcoholic if you drink drive on the way home, but you actually ride a motorbike. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Thank it's you terrible. so much. I'm glad you are still in one piece. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. And like I said, it's so early for you. I really, really appreciate you taking this call. You made my day. Congrats on just being on here. It is a huge accomplishment for you. And I hope you can just keep this one close to your heart and close as fuel that you will need on some days more than others for sure. So thank you so much and keep it up. No worries. Thank you. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. Before I say adios, I have our weekly challenge for all of you. Set a new boundary for yourself this week and try it out. See how it feels in your body and be mindful of your thoughts. Boundaries are a very powerful tool. The longer you practice living in them, the closer to yourself you will feel. Last thing before I let you all go, our six-week online course, Ditch the Booze, is coming back on August 4th and we are excited. In this course, you'll learn how to build the foundation for a life where alcohol is no longer needed. This course is available for Cafe RE members only. Go to www.recoveryelevator.com forward slash Cafe RE to get more details on the course. Recovery Elevator, when you say no to somebody else, you say yes to yourself. Remember to stay weird, remember to protect your energy, and I'll see you next Monday. I love you guys. <laughs>